Nehemiah chapter 9. This is more of a history lesson than anything else, and it is always good to remember what the Lord has done. Amen? Sometimes we forget how easily we forget some of the wonderful things God has done, um, especially when you are in the midst of difficulty. So let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so blessed, so, so blessed to have this example of Nehemiah and um, just how we need to always remember you and how you take care of us and you love us. And um, all you ask for is that we just obey your word. Father, it seems such an easy thing, and yet we find it to be difficult in our own hearts. And so we ask that you just speak to us now through this wonderful story of of Nehemiah's um, rule in uh, the city of Jerusalem. So we just give you this time, ask that you bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. So now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Now, what they used to, they still um, did this in Jesus' time. We saw them whenever they were mourning or they were really repentant about something or wanted to confess their sin, they would actually um, put sackcloth. Now, sackcloth is uh, basically burlap. So, um, have anybody, has anybody ever handled burlap? You know how... It is stiff, it's itchy, it's uncomfortable. So what they would do is they would literally try to make themselves uncomfortable so that they can express to God exactly how sorry they are. That is why they do that. And then they put dust on their heads. Actually, that was more like ash on their heads. So, I mean, they must have been a sight. I mean, to think about it. I mean, they were wearing these burlap outfits with dust on their heads. And they were fasting, which doesn't make you feel good. You know, if you fast for any length of time, you begin to get a little woozy, a little lightheaded. Sometimes we get pale. So um, they must have been a sight. Then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners. And they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law, of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day. Now, I was going, okay, why does it, I remember reading a commentary, and it said a six-hour service. And I'm thinking, okay, one-fourth of the day. I kind of, okay, one-fourth of 24 hours is actually six hours, so this would have been a 12-hour service, wouldn't it? And then I realized, well, it's, quarter of the day so we kind of look at the quarter of a day 12 hours right so that's how we came up with first they had a three-hour prayer service and reading the word and then the other three hours were spent just confessing and worshiping and this was to get their hearts right before the lord that's the first thing we must do Confession and repentance of sins of their fathers. I mean, they confessed everything. The book of Judges reveals that the children of Israel were in this constant, constant succession of, of they had God's blessing. And then they kind of got a little relaxed. I mean, we do this, think about it, we do this in our own walk. We get kind of comfortable, and then we start blending with the world, and then the next thing you know, we're completely 
doing the sins of the world. And so this is what the children of Israel were doing constantly. They would go, oh, Lord, we want to worship you. We want to praise you. And then suddenly, uh, God who? You know, uh, we like the sin of the Canaanites. We like the sins of the Moabites. We like this. And so then God would say, okay, you're going to get a spanking. So he would spank them big time. And they'd say, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. And they would confess. And then all would be okay for a while. And then they'd do it all over again. They'd start to get relaxed. And what a lesson that is for us because we do that, don't we? As soon as things start going really well, you notice how we start Oh, you know what? Things are going pretty good. I got this, Lord. Don't worry about it. I got it. You know. And then what happens? Well, we get slammed and hard. And then um, we begin to fall away oftentimes. And it's during those good times that we fall away. When we're going through difficult times, isn't that when we depend on the Lord? Or we should. But most of us, you know, Lord, you know, I need your help. And he's... Lord's probably going, well, you know, you needed my help before. You just didn't recognize it. And so, anyway, they were confessing the sins of their fathers. And then they read from the Word of God. Now, worship does involve reading from the Word of God. For the Word of God reveals the God of the Word, does it not? So, that's how we get to know what He is, who He is, what He wants from us, and how to please Him. If we don't do that, then we're kind of like... In limbo, we don't know exactly what God wants from us. And um, this is how our own sin in need of the Savior is established. So then they confessed all their sins, starting in verse 4. Okay, and I always massacre the name, so I apologize. I will do my best. Then Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebana, Buni, Sherebiah, and there's another Banny. There was two Bannies. And Shanaimi stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Joshua, Kadmiel, Banny, Hasha, boy, that's a really hard one. And Shirbaya, uh, Hoja, <laughs> I'm just making these up, right? Uh, and another Shabaniah. And Peth and I, you know what, that's not important. So, <laughs> said, stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven and have the heavens of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worship you, worships you. You are the Lord God. You chose Abram, and you brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and you gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithfully before you and made a covenant with him. You give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Jebusites. I said Parasites, didn't I? <laughs> Hey, it worked, okay? And the, okay, the Gergashites, to give it to his descendants, you have performed your words, for you are righteous. Now, it's interesting. If you've noticed when you were reading this, that it was set up in kind of poem form, how we would look at it as a poem. Did you notice that in your, in your Bible? At least my King, New King James did. And so oftentimes, because they didn't have Bibles like we have that they can always refer to, oftentimes they would have 
these type of things in the form of a song. We can remember songs, can't we? I remember um, my boys loved this guy named the Donut Man when they were growing up. And I tell you what, I learned more scriptures listening to the Donut Man with the boys than anything else, you know. I can do all things, all things, all things. I can do all things with Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4, 3, you know. So I would always do that with them, and I learned so much scripture. Well, this is the same thing. They learned the, the, the word of God. They learned their history by kind of putting it in a poem or a song. The, um, the Psalms are very much the same thing. They were songs that David wrote, but they are full of wonderful scripture, are they not? And so this is how the people would learn the word of God, because not everybody could have a Bible, not like we do today. Only a few had them. And oftentimes it was just the Levites or the, the priests in the temple would have a Bible. So, you know what? A song is a really good thing. So, the first part of our prayer service we, begins with prayer and praise. And our model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is the same way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. They are praising God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Very similar to what we just read here. Always begin your prayer with praising God for who he is. You just don't jump in and say, okay, God, here's my list. You know, like he's Santa Claus or something. Um, You need to first acknowledge who he is. You praise him for his, uh, his ability to look out after you and to, uh, sustain you and to, uh, give you every all of your needs you know he he does all of that and he's also on top of that he's the maker of heavens of the heavens and of earth he makes everything and yet he cares about you we need to acknowledge that and so always begin your prayer but with praise and acknowledging and thanksgiving and then thanking thank him for supplying all your needs for your children for your home for your car everything just acknowledge what he has done for you that's the proper way to start this out. And living in a free country, isn't that something to praise him for? I oftentimes think, wow, I could have been born in Somalia. I mean, think about it. When we, um, I was at a conference and I was going to a workshop that was on how to reach Muslim women. And I went to this workshop, and the gal that was teaching it was just this absolutely gorgeous, and she was actually African because Somalia is in, she's from Somalia. So, of course, she was black, absolutely gorgeous. And um, I was amazed at the heartache that she had to go through. You know, and I'm thinking, we are such babies here. You know, we think we have it hard Oh, my goodness, in Somalia, you say you're a Christian, and oftentimes you're killed. Or worse, oftentimes they're tortured, raped. I mean, she has been through a lot in her life. But now she lives here in the States. She can't go back to Somalia, but she lives here in the States, and she teaches. You know, she gives her testimony. She writes books on, um, you know, everything that she has gone through. So pretty amazing thing. And I'm going, wow, Lord, thank you. That, you know, I wasn't born in that kind of circumstance. Because I could have, God could have chosen to do that, but he didn't. Instead, I, I got this, you know, I live in this cushy country. So remember 
who we should be thanking. Always do that. So, continuing, verse 9, you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, all of his servants, and against all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted proudly against them. So you made a name for yourself as it is this day, and you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and their persecutors you drew into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day in a cloudy pillar and, a, and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. So now they're going through this time of remembering how God had saved them from their enemies and how he guided them. They're just remembering everything God has done. And God's provision. Then he continues on in verse 13. You came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven. You gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. He actually told them, this is what I expect of you. So they weren't going into this ignorant, were they? Oftentimes, um, an excuse that you hear your kids say, but mom, I didn't know. And you kind of go, oh, really? You should have known. You know better. But, you know, that's the excuse they use, right? Well, this is what the children of Israel have done in their history. Oh, but God, we didn't know. And here they're saying no excuse. You had the law of Moses. You knew. You just chose to ignore. Sometimes you know how people will say, well, I didn't know that's what God said. Well, that's kind of your own fault because you're not listening to what God has said. Isn't that true? Don't, isn't that what we do? And so we think that ignorance is bliss. But, oh, who's, oh, sorry. Always distracted by babies. So anyway, um, it's important to acknowledge that, yes, he has given his rules. He's given his statutes. And it's so important that we follow them because by following them, we have his blessing. That is the big thing that Israel needs to learn. It says, you came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven. And you gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made to them, known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and you brought them water out of the rock. For their thirst, you told them to go in and possess the land which you had sworn to give them. So here, he's provided everything. Can you imagine? I mean, I I know for me, I would say, you know, Lord, I would really have a lot more faith if I could see a miracle. Have you ever said that to yourself? You know, all these guys during the, the, old, the Old Testament and the New Testament, they got miracles all the time. How come we can't have these big signs and wonders today? And the answer to that is what we have seen with the children of Israel. They saw a cloud before them every day for 40 years. They saw a pillar of fire in the sky Every day for 40 years. You would think they would say, wow, our God is awesome. But did they? No, did they? I mean, it was, to me, that's amazing. But that's just human nature. We get kind of used to seeing the miracles of God every day. Then we just kind of take them lightly. 
We see miracles every day. The fact that you woke up and the world didn't fly apart is a miracle. God is what keeps our world together. They can't explain how our world actually exists. They can't explain how we came to be. God did all that. So we have miracles every day. We just kind of look over them and take them for granted, just like the children of Israel did. It says, and, but, they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. How sad is that? They refused to obey. And they were not mindful of your wonders, just like today, that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Even though they kept being unfaithful, God was never unfaithful. He just says, you know what? All it takes is you to confess and turn away from your sin and everything is good again. We're, we're golden. That's what he's telling them. He says, even when they made a molded calf for themselves. And I love that. They, uh, if you remember the story, this is when Moses was up on the mountain and he's getting the Ten Commandments. You remember that from the, the story of the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? Yeah, so he's up there, and, <laughs> and he comes down, and all the people are dancing around a golden calf. And what they had done while he was gone is they had gathered all their gold jewelry, and they melted it down, and they formed this gold cow as if it was really something. You know, like it really had a spirit within it or something. And Moses comes down and says, Aaron, what has happened here? What are you guys doing? And he was mad, remember? And he threw the the tablets down and they shattered and then he had to go get new ones. But um, I remember what Aaron said. I mean, basically I'm paraphrasing. He says, well, we... We threw the gold in. Yeah, that's it. We threw the gold into the fire and out popped this calf. We don't know how it happened. It must be a god. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what they did. This is after they had seen miracle after miracle. I mean, can you imagine watching the parting of the Red Sea? That's a big sea. And they walked through on dry land. It had to have been an amazing thing to witness and to see the waves crash in on the Egyptian army. And yet, they still followed after a false god. Boy, we are just knuckleheads, aren't we? Because we're no different. We're no different. It says, you also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. I mean, for 40 years, manna came down from heaven out of nothing. I love what Teresa said. He supplied their needs from nothing, absolutely nothing. So manna comes down from heaven like rain, and they still did not trust God. I mean, it's nonsensical, but that's what they did. And then all they had to do was strike a rock. 
All Moses had to do was strike a rock with his, his rod and water would pour from the rock. Beautiful, sweet, clear spring water. And still, they, they didn't acknowledge who God was. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Oh boy, I, I, you ever been on your feet all day shopping? Terrible thing, isn't it? But you know how your feet begins to hurt? You know, when you've been on your feet all day, you know, if you work, you know what I'm talking about. If you have to stand up all the time, your feet just get tired and you are worn out. But their feet never got tired from walking. Their sandals never wore out. They never had to make new shoes. Our shoes don't last forever. What is a good pair of shoes you usually last? Six months? Well, um, I usually try to wear them a lot longer than that because I hate breaking in shoes. So, I mean, I'll keep a pair of shoes maybe at the most five years. And then they're so out of style that I would be embarrassed to wear them. But, you know, terrible thing. Terrible. So, but, you know, think about it. Uh, okay, kids. Let's look at kids are the best example. How long does a pair of kids' shoes last? Six months. There you go. Six months. Okay, you were going from Danny. Okay. So, yeah, or a pair of pants. How many holy knees, and I'm not talking about righteous knees, I'm talking about holy as in huge holes in their pants. I mean, most boys, that's what they do. Yeah, three months for a pair of pants. Okay, boys will always be boys. Boys were boys back in this day too. So, can you imagine having clothes that never wear out? That's another miracle. Did they acknowledge it? No, not really. So they had all these things going for them. They had their pillar. They had their cloud guiding them. They had clothes that wouldn't wear out. Shoes that never were uncomfortable. Their feet never got tired. They had manna coming down from heaven every night. All they had to do was go out and collect it, and it tasted really good. You know, I'm told it would taste kind of like honey. Of course, you might get a little tired of it every single day. It's like having a sugar donut every day. But um, <laughs> that's not the point. The point is they, it was very nutritious, and it sustained them. And they had cool, fresh, clean water whenever they needed it. And yet they still, still did not acknowledge him as somebody that they need to Uh, Follow and obey wholeheartedly. So, moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations. Now they're talking about when they entered the promised land. Uh, They were uh, now under the rule of Joshua. And Jeff just finished in the book of Joshua. And so we heard about all the battles, you know, the, the battle of Jericho. You know, all they had to do is march around the city and all walls came tumbling down. You know, everybody knows that song. So, um... This is what he's referring to. They took possession of the land of Sihon, the, the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Basham. You also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to go in and possess. So the people went in and possessed the land, and you subdued them before them, the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they wished. And they took strong cities and a rich land 
and possessed houses full of all goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. And so they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. So after they wandered, this is what... God had promised them, and now they've entered the promised land. But then you'll find that they were there for a while, and they were praising God, and life was good. They'd seen what God had done, delivering um, this land into their hands. They were able to establish their homes. They were growing um, as a people. They had as many as the stars in the sky, which is a lot when you think about it. That's a lot of people. And yet they forgot, didn't they? They forgot. And that is how we came to the story in Nehemiah. They had forgotten what God had done. They uh, began to worship other gods. And then God brought in conquerors, and they were carried away as slaves. And so now they've come back, and they go, okay, we get it, Lord. We won't ever do that again. We promise, please restore um, our nation. It says, nevertheless, they were disobedient. Oh, man, and rebelled against you, cast your law behind their backs, and killed your prophets and who testified against them to turn them to yourself, and they worked great provocations. Therefore, you delivered them into the land of their enemies who oppressed them, and in the time of their trouble, when they cried out to you, you heard from heaven, and according to your abundant mercies, you gave them Deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. Therefore, you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies and testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgment, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. Don't you hate it when you do that? We do that same thing, don't we? When we don't want to hear God's gentle nudge saying, you shouldn't do that, sometimes we'll just, mm, no, I want. I want to do this. I want to be bitter. I want to be unforgiving. We do that, don't we? We stiffen our neck. We rebel against God, and God's going, no, no, no. I'm going to tell you gently at first. And then doesn't the heat get turned up? He gets turned up, and then pretty soon you're on your face because, God, I love you too much. I can't let you continue in this sin. Yet, for many years, you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit and your prophets. Yet, they would not listen. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the land. Nevertheless, your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them, nor forsake them. For you are God, gracious and merciful. Oh, my goodness. How many times would you say, well, I would never do that? It's not true. You would. Because we're all human. That, that is why we need a Savior. And that is what's so great about God. We can blow it over and over and over and over and over. But as long as we repent and draw near to him, he's always right there. It wasn't us who, I mean, it wasn't him that drifted away. It was us that drifted away. And so all we have to do is, I mean, we can wander for miles. But the cool thing about it is God is just one step 
backwards. Isn't that wonderful? He's always there. He is always there to take us back. As far as the east is from the west, our sins have been forgotten. Amen. Don't you love that? Uh, and But it takes true repentance. It can't just say, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. I know I blow it again, but I'm sorry. And you do it something flippant like that. See, God knows the heart. He knows, oh, you're not serious. And you know when you're not serious. You just want to try to clean your slate, right? Isn't that kind of what some uh, some do where they will confess so that they can go and, and dirty up their slate again? That's what we do. Verse 32, now therefore our God, the great and mighty and awesome God who keeps covenant and mercy, do not let all the trouble seem small before you. That has come upon us, our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers and on all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. Do you ever feel like your problems, you don't want to bug God because your problems seem small? I mean, there's nothing too small. Let's say you have a pair of shoes and they're uncomfortable, but you really can't afford a new pair of shoes, but you hate to wear them because they hurt your feet. Is there something wrong with praying to God? Please, Lord, help me break in my shoes. They hurt my feet. I can't afford a new pair. Of course, that's not too small. He wants to fix it. But always be mindful that in everything he has a purpose. And that is very important. So if he doesn't make your shoes more comfortable, there's a reason for it. And that's how we need to accept it. But nothing is too small for God to hear about. If it occupies your mind, it can occupy his mind. Always keep that in mind. If it's something that you think about and concerns you, Talk to the Lord about it. Nothing is too small. And that's what the people were saying here. They're going, Lord, don't let this be such a small thing. I mean, they had him so unapproachable in their own minds that they were, they were worried about him restoring their whole country. You know, oh, do not let this trouble seem small before you. That's what they were saying. And it's like, of course it's not small to him. If it concerns you, it concerns him. So, continuing on. Verse 33, However, you are just in all that has befallen us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. Neither our kings, nor our princes, our priests, nor our fathers have kept your law, nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies, with which you testified against them. For they have not served you in their kingdom, or in the many good things that you gave them or in the large and rich lands which you set before them, nor did they turn from their wicked ways. It's important to understand that the child of God, with the child of God, there is nothing that we can do that God can't undo if we ask him. And that's important. There is nothing he can't do. Sometimes people say, it's just too big of a problem. You know, I really messed it up. God can't fix it. Well, that's not true. God can fix anything. Remember, he's the God of the universe. Of course he can fix it. It might seem too big to us, but he can fix it. But we have to be mindful that it may not be in the way that we want it to be fixed. And that's important. We can't treat him like a genie. Say, uh, God, you know, rub your little lamp and say, uh, God, I need this fixed. Can you handle that? Well, God said, well, I could. 
but it's not best for you. Remember, he always does what's best for you and for the body of Christ. So that's important. But no matter how wicked you have been, there is nothing he can't undo as far as that wickedness. It doesn't matter how bad you were. There's nothing he can't forgive. So always keep that in mind. Verse 36, we, here we are servants today and in the land that you give or gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty. Here we are servants in it and it yields much increase to the kings you have set over us because of our sins. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle and at their pleasure and we are in great distress. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant covenant and write it our leaders our levites and our priests seal it they promised again and if you know anything about the history of israel you know what they didn't change it was one of those things where you know they promised oh lord we will never do that again we will never sin before you ever ever again have you ever said that I promise I will never do that again, Lord. I will never, ever, ever, ever. And what do we do? Yeah. Come on. Everybody's hand should be up. All right? <laughs> we do that. But it's really sad. When you think about where the Israelites are today, they have fallen right back into their unbelief and sin once again. In the Old Testament, in the, in the book of Judges, I'm going to read what they uh, did. And here, I'll kind of paraphrase it for you. It should read, Then, in 2015, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths and the gods of Syria and the gods of Sidon and the gods of Moab, the, the gods of all the people of Ammon and the gods of the Philistines, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. This is what was written over and over and over and over in the book of Judges. And it just breaks your heart because it was they would do this and then they would get spanked and they would ask forgiveness and then, like I said earlier in the message, then they would just fall back into the same pattern. Were you aware that in Israel today, I mean, yeah, they are God's chosen people, but they don't follow the God, their, their God Hardly at all. Very few are even real Jews in the true sense of the word. They don't follow any of the Levitical law or anything like that. There are a few who pretend, and we find that in the Orthodox Jews. They um, pretend that they are studiers of the word. But did you know that Orthodox Jews, for the most part, are the... They're, they're, one of their main businesses is prostitution. Isn't that interesting? Did you know that Tel Aviv was one of the biggest homosexual playgrounds on the planet? Yeah, isn't that amazing? It is. I mean, it has become so debauched there. And then you've got, you know, just it's male and female prostitution there, of which the Orthodox Jews, which are from the tribe of Levi... It's part of their, their money-making machine. It is, it's staggering. When I heard that, I, I no, no, that can't happen. And so, um, you know, there's a big sex slave industry there. Now, they worship the God of Baal still today. 
The worship of Baal involved magic and the performance of rituals, including sacred prostitution. They worship Ashtaroth, the deity associated with sexuality and fertility. They worship Moab, god of Shermosh, who centered their worship around sex. But if they took it to a new level and, the child, and children were produced, they would sacrifice their children on a burnt off, uh, burnt altar, which is just horrific to me. Of course, they don't do that today, but they do abort the babies. Is there any difference? I would say no. Of course, Israel does not look at it this way. They just, you know what, business is business, you know. But nor did their ancestors. But God will reveal their sin to them when the time is right, as always. And in this case, I think the time will be during the tribulation. And they will then recognize who Jesus was and who they crucified. And so um, their time is coming. And a judgment is coming again upon Israel. And it's going to be very harsh this time. But the whole chapter, to me, is amazing. It shows God's amazing grace and his mercy. That is just so wonderful. First Peter 1.3 tells us, Blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. See, God, Peter understood mercy, didn't he? We all know the story of Peter, denying the Lord and that kind of thing. So, you know, he was a big man on campus before uh, Jesus was arrested, and then he just became a wimp. And so... God really showed his amazing mercy. And then he shows his amazing patience. Um, In verse 30 of of Nehemiah 9, it says, Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit in your prophets. Yet they would not listen. But our God is a God of patience, isn't he? And I really take comfort in knowing that. Romans 15.5 says, Now may the God of patience, he is the God of patience and comfort, grant you to be like-minded towards one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the, the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what this whole chapter of Nehemiah just showed me, is that even though we keep blowing it, Over and over and over and over again, if we just confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us from our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. So never forget that. When you read something that seems to be so tedious and long, there's a purpose for it. God put this in his word for a purpose. And for me, that's showing exactly how patient and gracious and merciful he is. So always keep that in mind. Never let the enemy condemn you because God doesn't condemn you. God is merciful and gracious and patient. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, help us to truly, truly grasp your patience, your mercy, and your, uh, your grace. It just, it's so amazing that 
we can just blow it over and over and over again, and yet you still love us. Help us to be mindful of that. Help us to remember the times when you have delivered us from uh, our sin, our difficult situations, so that we can always reflect upon them and know that you are good and that you want only the best for us. So as we we divide up into our groups, Lord, we ask that you just further um, help us to meditate upon this and truly grasp what it is that you would have us to learn through the rest of this morning. So we give it to you, Lord. Ask that you bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.